Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Biedley. Direct from Brazil, A.J. Gerverd, do you want to basically laugh at the people in Chicago because of the fact that you got the Olympics and they didn't, or were you just feeling not that smug, but just happy? Well, I'm happy as uh, most of Brazilians are, but I'm a little concerned that when Olympics is, is going to be held in, in Rio de Janeiro, and you know, Rio is a very dangerous city. And you know what? When something like that happens, we all worry a lot because people are coming from all over the world to watch the Olympics, to watch the games, and lots of things can happen. It doesn't matter what our authorities do. The bandits, the bad guys are always doing something ahead of them. So let's hope that everything goes fine. Also, uh, AJ, the economic situation in Brazil I can imagine, is, is being tried in the same way that it is in the rest of the world. So maybe there's a concern on the part of the public about, you know, you have to build facilities and you have to have police in place for such a thing like an Olympics. Are there questions about where the money for that is going to come from, from the public funding? I understand that a lot of money is going to be invested by the government and some money is coming from overseas. Now, this is another problem. Uh, it's kind of delicate to speak about it. But the, the thing is, every time someone in Brazil gets a funding from somewhere you know, internationally, the money comes, and just part of it is used for the, the, the objectives they were designed. Mm -hmm. And lots of money, I'm sorry to tell you that, Lots of money just stolen in the middle of the way. So they are speaking something about uh, something like 240 billion or something like that. I don't remember precisely the numbers, but this is a huge number. And I tell you, by, by experience of seeing other fundings coming to Brazil, coming from other, 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 other parts of the world to fund uh, initiatives here, just a portion of that money is actually invested in what they are supposed to. And lots of money is just lost in the way, you know, goes to someone's pocket here and there. It, it's very unfortunate, but uh, this is something real in Brazil. I would say that perhaps being optimistic, very optimistic, 50% of all money put in the games will stop or will end at someone's pocket. 50%? Yeah, to be optimistic. That's, uh, uh, that's even worse than the corruption that we see in other parts in the world, my friend. Well, uh, when it comes to public constructions like bridges, uh, uh, roads, uh, ports, things like that, it come up to 70%, 65%, 75% lost, completely lost. It's terrible. I'm terrible uh, to tell you that, but uh, this is the reality. Mm. Anyway, what is going to happen is that the games will warm up our economy. Lots of people will, will, will profit from it. Lots mm -hmm. of business will profit from it, and especially the tourism. So you get hotels, you get airlines, you get uh, uh, restaurants. Lots of business will profit from it, legitimate profit from it. And I hope this helps uh, Brazil to get a better in economy. Mm, so do we. So we wanted to have you on the show because lately there has been a tremendous amount of activity on the part of the Brazilian government releasing documents 
historical documents from what the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, you know, f- over 40 years of UFO activity, right? Actually, we we just got the papers for the 80s. Since last year, the government is releasing material in portions. We had the 50s, then we had the 60s, were not very exciting material, but then we have the 70s, which were were exciting. And now we just had the 80s, and the 80s are very exciting. We have very good material coming from our government from the 80s. Now, you know that we had so many cases in Brazil, all over the world in the 80s. That was a golden age for UFOs, a golden decade for UFOs, especially in Brazil. And some of our main cases have been disclosed by now, have been released by our government. Now, what is it that made this happen, AJ? What were there, Was there any specific event that precipitated this release? Why is the government down there all of a sudden releasing these documents? Actually, we started back in, in 2004 a campaign to ask the government to come open about it, to come, uh, to come clear about it. We, the campaign is called uh, UFOs Freedom of Information Now. We, released, we started this campaign by March 2004, and we did so much about it. We had so many pages all over the web. All over the web. Then we had uh, the campaign in details in, in our magazine, which is printed and goes all over the country. So we have this major and very powerful uh, way to put this to the public. Uh, Internet and the Brazilian UFO magazine. So we could collect something like 70,000, 70,000 signatures to a petition asking the government to come uh, open about it, to, to release its files. Then in January 2005, I was contacted. That, that was very historical. That was unique. Never happened, never happened before in Brazil. I was contacted. As, as the coordinator of this campaign, UFO's Freedom of Information Now, I was contacted by someone at the Brazilian Air Force who said, yes, we are hearing you and we know that your, your pledge is sincere and, and we want to comply to what you are asking. So on behalf of the commander of Air Force, Brazilian Air Force, I'm inviting you guys you and all uh, the Brazilian Committee of UFO Researchers, which is the, the group that we put to, to start this campaign, we are, we are all invited to go to Brasilia for a first visit to the headquarters of the Brazilian Air Force, which we did on May 20, 2005. At that time, we, we came to this show, David and Jean. We came to this show, and I spoke a lot about it. That was the mm-hmm. first time we, we had this chance to examine the material, to watch the material, to, to see what the government had. We were taken into uh, some uh, very um, uh, reserved facilities in, in Brasilia, where war stuff and Brazilian air defense stuff is, is dealt with. And we were shown some piles of documents, but we could not make pictures, we could not 
transcribe, we could make copies, we couldn't do anything at all, just watch them, read them for a couple of hours, and that was it. And then we got the promise from them that they would release this material eventually, or at some point, that material would be available for the public. We didn't want this material for us, you were for researchers. We want this for the public because we are the public. If this becomes public, then it's become uh, available for us, you for researchers as well. So this is the thing. And this is what we did. But uh, actually, after a few months have passed since May 2205, when we did that visit, our government stopped talking about it. It just shut up about it didn't come to the subject again, and that kind of uh, disturbed us because we wanted the promise to come a reality. So we decided to give them a few more months, which we did, and by the end of 2007, we came back with full power with our campaign asking for freedom of information, using again the Brazilian UFO magazine, and again we are using the internet power. So what we did we basically started making a lot of noise, especially reminding those people that the government, who made a public promise to us that the documents would come available eventually. Now, when we start doing that as boldly as possible, the government started to release material. The documents for the 50s, which is like uh, 1,000 pages plus lots of pictures and this and that, then document of the 60s, then the 70s. And one very interesting thing happened when they released the material for the 70s was that we knew that the Brazilian uh, FBI, if you will, which is the system of information, of classified information, it's like the FBI or something like that, a, a similar uh, uh, organism, just like FBI, but in, in smaller proportions here in Brazil. We just knew that this, this organism, this department, was engaged in investigation of UFO in the Amazon, but we didn't know how deep was its participation, in, especially in the Operation Saucer, which we spoke about here, and we can speak more. By some mistake, I guess, I can only evaluate it this way, that by some mistake, the government released a bunch of pages of a, a particular documentation coming from the National Information Service, this, this department, about Operation Saucer, confirming what we just knew but didn't have any proof of that this department, which I repeat is very similar to the FBI in the United States, much smaller, of course, it has been also engaged in investigating UFOs in the Amazon. So when we had this, we had like a virus that we inoculated back into the government just to tell them, see, you're starting to release material that you, we haven't asked. So if you have this, you have more. And then we planted the idea this, which was a real thing, that some documents were in this or that department. We, we didn't know for sure how many pages were, but we, we knew that some documents were in some departments. And we started telling them, just like you released the material from the National Information Service, we now know that you also have the, the tailored information about UFOs and these and that and that other department. So eventually, this tactic 
started to make uh, some result, and we got more and more documents. But the government kept its way of releasing stuff from decade to decade. So eventually we got material from the 70s, which also includes the Operation Saucer stuff, which is very powerful, very powerful. This is, of course, you're referring to the stuff relating to the Kolaris yes. uh, wave. A lot of violent, very extreme incidents related to that flap. That's it. That's it. The, the, the Operation Saucer is one of the main cases that we have. And by, by what I understand, it is the biggest ever military official mission in the world that we know of to investigate UFOs. Because it was an official committee of, of military to investigate inside. They went to the jungles, they went to the forest, something between two and three dozen men. They went to, a place, uh, to places around Colaris, which is an island by the Amazon River and a few other affluents, and they started investigating UFOs. In September 1977, and they ended at, at December 1977, prematurely, the operation saucer was closed prematurely. And we, we must get back to this because now we have new information about uh, its supposed ending of Operation Saucer. We, we have to get back to that. You hear it on TV. You hear it on radio. Cash for gold. Yes, it's an enticing phrase during these challenging days. But the real question is, how much cash are you going to get for your gold and silver? Are you going to get the best value? Well, you can get the best price from a company whose owners have decades of experience in the business. Welcome to Goldbug. The folks at Goldbug warn you that many of those high-budget gold buyers are paying far less than you deserve for your gold and silver. Goldbug will give you top dollar each and every time. To learn more, call 1-866-596-6134. That number again, 1-866-596-6134 for Goldbug. Or visit us online at goldbug.com. That's Goldbug with two G's. Goldbug.com. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Hi, this is Michelle from Namecheap. We don't have millions of dollars to get race car drivers or models to endorse us, but we will do everything we can to make those who buy domains or web hosting from us as happy as possible. We offer a free SSL as well as free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers or troublemakers. We won't bug you with obnoxious upsells when you check out or in your inbox. But most importantly, our customer service team really cares about you. It's what we pride ourselves in the most because it's your endorsement that means the most to us. If you like what you hear, get deals on both our domains and our web hosting at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com, and be sure to play our contest by following us on Twitter. 
Thanks, Michelle. And by the way, listeners, please use the coupon code Radio Day. That's Radio Day, one word, for special discounts at Namecheap. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. We are talking to A.J. Gavard, our friend from Brazil, who's the editor of the Brazilian UFO magazine. And the government of Brazil has released a bunch of documents on the subject. So this is certainly a big success on your part in urging them to do it. But, of course, before we go into more of the sightings and the case histories and the stuff that you did get, what didn't you get? What are they holding back, A.J.? Well, by what we understand, and this is an evaluation that we do of all the material already released, we're talking about some 4,000 pages and uh, three to 400 photos. But by what we understand, the government is only releasing the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's kind of obvious. Nobody, no, nobody here expected the government to release the hardcore, the most dramatic information about your in Brazil. They are releasing what they feel is releasable. And of course, what has been uh, authorized by U.S. military to be released. Now, this takes us back to the alleged ending of Operation Saucer. Now, let's speak about Operation Saucer. It's, you know, I, I insist on it because this is a very serious thing. Now, we, we had those bunch of cases that happened in 74, 75, 76, in 77, lots of cases, stream cases in which lots of people have been attacked, harmed, burned by strange vehicles that nobody knew who the hell were, uh, what the hell were them. Anyway, those cases happened in, in, in such an, uh, an intensity that the local authorities were all terrorized, all the population was in panic. So they asked the government, the state government, to do something about it. And the state government went to the Air Force, which has a big base, a big airfield close to Colaris, so it actually is less than 100 kilometers, uh, less than 60 so miles from Colaris, this big base of the Brazilian Air Force. And that base, put up a team to investigate those cases. Now, before the Operation Saucer started, another operation that didn't have a name was a very short-term thing was put up to go to the sites and to talk to the people, the victims and the witnesses, to evaluate if they were speaking seriously about this or are they hallucinating or something. When this uh, small group military came back to the base, after a few weeks, they gave the report that the victims were reporting something real and not visionary, and that something very, very intense was happening in Colaris. Now, when that happened, when that happened, then the Operation Saucer was put in place, was put in motion, Operation Saucer. Let me interrupt with a question here. Sorry about that, AJ. Do you think... Yes. And this is one of the feelings they have about the American UFO Research Project Blue Book many, many years ago. That the government puts up these things, your government, not to really investigate anything, but to throw people a bone saying, hey, see, we're investigating UFOs. 
but any investigation is being done elsewhere. Well, actually, this is what happened after Operation Saucer was supposedly or allegedly ended. Now, the Operation Saucer was a real initiative to investigate UFOs, a very real, because the man in charge of it, the man in command was a captain at the time, then he retired as, uh, as a colonel, was William Gil Landas. Everybody knows, I, I interviewed the guy in 1997, and we had lots of information about it. Now, he made a very real effort to find out what the objects were. He was kind of skeptic that the phenomena was extraordinary in some form. But he was a believer. He, he knew that there are other planets inhabited, and there are UFOs. He was a very smart man, and but he didn't believe that what was going on in Colaris was something related to UFOs. He thought that that, that people was somehow hallucinating or something. So he was asked to command the person saucer, and he put together a team of two to three dozen people. Then he went to the jungles and made campings and took lots of stuff to take photos and everything. Now. The main objectives of Operation Saucer, which is written in official documentation, is, first, to talk to the witnesses and the victims and try to collect as much information as possible. And over 2,000 pages were produced, of which 500 now are in our possession. So we are missing 1,500, and we want them, and we want rest until we have them. And the second and the second purpose, second objective of Operation Saucer, also reading in official documentation, was that, and it was, it was confirmed by Orange Lander to me personally, uh, it's on video, and then it was confirmed also by another man, a brigadier, which is now a, a part of the campaign UFO's Freedom of Information, now is a very tough guy in Brazil, top, top in the, in the, in the military segment. Now, the, the second uh, purpose was to document the phenomenon as thoroughly as possible, with videos, actually with films, no videos at that time, with films, with photos and everything. And over 500 pictures were taken, of which we have about 200. Now we have 200. And over 16 hours of Super 8 millimeters and Super 16 millimeters films were made, of which we have none, none at all. And we want them pretty bad, and we're going after this. We're going for it. And the third purpose, now this is what is very interesting, David and Jean. The third objective of the Operation Social was to try to establish contact with intelligences beyond the phenomena. There was already a knowledge, a notion, a clear notion that there was an intelligence beyond the phenomena. And the guys, the military, under Orlando, they were supposed to contact that intelligence. Well, isn't that something? Now, after we're going to speak about a document that, that just have just been released, where the government again speaks about the intelligence beyond the phenomena, and that is material. We're going to speak about it, but let me, just let me reach the point I want to. Okay. Now, when they developed the Operation Saucer, all the activities in September, October, November, they started having contact with the, the, the objects. The objects would, would come close to the campings where the military were. And Orlando told me, and so did the other guys, that when they move the camping, if they go from one beach to another beach, from one location to another location, the UFOs will go with them. Now, if they are camp camped here, 
in this location. If they move tomorrow to another location, tonight they will have sightings here where they are. Tomorrow, when they are in another location, they will have sightings over there. Because, like Orlando told me, and I quote, it's like the intelligence beyond the phenomena knew that we were there for them, and they were observing us as much as we were observing them. Now, it increased and increased and increased, and lots of pictures were taken at close range of big motherships over the Amazon River with lots of objects all over. Now, eventually, by mid-December 1977, the third objective of Operation Saucer was fulfilled. It is. There was an actual contact, a direct contact, between the military and the extraterrestrials, and the intelligence beyond the phenomena. It, it took place by the bank rivers of uh, Guajaramirim. Orlando Star, he was with another, of, uh, another officer close to him in a boat, a small boat, when a UFO land, almost landed actually, on the other side of the river. This is fantastic, because this was a big, a big cigar-shaped object, like 300 feet long, vertically, almost landed on the other bank river. And from the top portion of that, that object, a door was open in a creature, a biped creature, just like us, with a, a complete suit, a white suit and a helmet, came down, 300 feet down, and came to the level of the men that were by, by the river level, and they looked at each other at no more than 15 feet away from each other, no telepathic contact, no uh, oral contact, no gesticulation, nothing. And then the alien left back to the UFO, the UFO, and then took off slowly. Orlando told me, and I quote, it's like they knew that if they go full power from that position at the where, it could harm us. So they, they went up slowly, and when they were at a safe position in the sky, then the UFO just flew away at very high speed. Now, the principle, the main objective of Operation Saucer was then fulfilled, which was to have an encounter, a safe encounter with intelligences beyond the phenomena, which already was new to be extraterrestrial. What did Orlando did? He went to his commander at the big airfield in Belém and told him that was Brigadier Protásio de Oliveira, a very smart, a very intelligent man, and a man who has had a great identity with the Amazon. When he died, there was a mourning for days in the Amazon. That man was a legend there, and he was the commander of the Belém uh, airfield, which is called Primeiro Comando Aéreo Regional, the first aerial regional command. In Belém. And when he told it to, to Protasio, now Protasio was the guy who, who set up the team and asked Orlando Ola, Ola, to be the commander. When he told it to Protasio, Protasio was taken by surprise. He used to go back almost weekly, sometimes two times per week, to give him reports of what was going on. So Protasio knew everything that was going on in the jungle, but he wasn't prepared. I think that he wasn't prepared for what happened. No, when Orlando came to him and said, Commander, it happened. We had the contact with intelligences. We had a contact. Now, I believe that it's going to go bigger and bigger. Protas was taken by surprise. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't, if he called some of the uh, biggest authorities in Brasilia, as well as authorities from U.S. government that were all around here in Brazil, because at that time, we are in the in military dictatorship in Brazil, in most of South America. It was in the 70s. And Americans, they almost said everything that we could do or not do in Brazil. It was confirmed by a top military in Brazil to me just recently that the Americans were all over and they're watching very closely, closely Operation Saucer. Now, I have my guess that Protagio consulted with top authorities in Brazil and with military authorities from the United States. And it was decided to shut down Operation Saucer. The next day, Holanda was informed to shut down Operation Saucer, to bring his men to the, to the base, to bring all the equipment, to bring all the, the, the photos, everything, and just give it to the command and forget about it. Now, David, Jim, come on. Do you really think that something as big as Operation Saucer would end just when it should be starting? Well, the main <laughs> well, objective was to get contact with the aliens. It didn't now, happen. But now, AJ, at, here's a question for you, right? There, there are a lot of questions that obviously come to mind. Who set that objective of Operation Saucer? Was it set by the Brazilian military? Was it set by... The American military, if the American military had a pre you're saying the American military had a physical presence in the country, right? Yes, all over. All right. In all South America. All right. So so if we have the, that situation, then who sets that agenda? You mean and then who, who, set, who, about? who sets the agenda of Operation Saucer? Who sets that goal? And then who gets the evidence? Well... Uh, the goals, I mean, the three objectives, which is talking to the witnesses, documenting the phenomena with photos and films, and then trying to establish contact. This was confirmed by Wider Giolana himself, and it's also written in the papers, a red release, and it's, it also was recently confirmed by another top military in Brazil, which is still alive and, and kicking, uh, Brigadier. Jose Carlos Pereira. This but who, goal, who, said, who yeah. makes the it is the Brazilian military that third objective, right, to establish yes. contact. Those goals are the, from the Brazilian military. Okay. And the whole operation saucer was closely watched by U.S. military. Closely watched. Eventually, during the the activities of Operation Saucer, one or two American would come and take part. In the night watches, it would happen. Were, were these some, American military or American civilian? American military. Military, all right. Yes, and also CIA, U.S. military from the Air Force, and U.S. CIA agents here in the Amazon, in Brazil. Okay, let's, re let's rewind for a minute, and let's go back to the uh, events of Colaris, AJ, because... Sure. A lot of people maybe don't understand the, the depth and the nature of what happened there. So it, let's, if yes, you could no. give a summary, let's, let's talk about what happened, what was the evidence that was created. Hey, neighbors, the old way to meet for business is over the phone or in person. 
The new better way is to meet clients and colleagues online with GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting is like meeting in person, but less time-consuming and less expensive. Start your meeting with just a click. Everyone can see your computer desktop on their computer screen so they can follow along as you move from page to page. You can use GoToMeeting to host a sales presentation, a product demo, or a training session. Even collaborate on documents by sharing your screens. Our listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. That's a month of unlimited online meetings free. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We're sure. talking to A.J. Gavard. He is the editor of the Brazilian UFO magazine. He's been on the Paracast a couple of times before. We're talking about cases released by the Brazilian government. Okay, David asked you for a summary of this particular case. Let's hear it. Yes. See, it all started, like I told you, in 74 to 75, and the cases increased in 76, and they were terrible in number and intensity in 1977, causing the, the authorities to call up the operation saucer. Now, what were the cases? Well, first, people have to have in mind that Colaris is a big island in the middle of Amazon River, which had a population of about six to 7,000 at that time. Very poor people who live up from, from fishing and from a small agriculture, small activities. Now, out of a sudden, for nothing, these people started being followed, pursued by balls of light. This balls of light would come sometimes from, from skies, sometimes through the trees, sometimes from the water, from the rivers. And eventually they started attacking people. Now, our listeners could have an idea of it if they go into YouTube and search for Brazil's Roswell documentary made by the History Channel. I took part of it. I, I am 110 pounds bigger than I am now. It was not easy to take part in that documentary, but I, I took part in it, and I described how the cases happened. And the cases happened very intensively. There was one doctor, was a young girl, 26 years by that time, just graduated in medicine school in Belém. She was sent as her first job to take care of a small sanitary unit, a small hospital, a small, small hospital in the village of Colaris. She's called Velaide Cecim, and she treated 400 patients, 400 patients, all of them attacked by what the people would call suck, suck, or chupa, chupa in our language, chupa, chupa in Portuguese, or suck, suck phenomena. The descriptions were that. Mm -hmm. We're doing the regular business like uh, walking, planting, fishing, whatever, visiting friends. You know, have in mind, these are very, very poor people. They don't have nothing. And all of a sudden, this balls of light would come from the skies, and they would beam a light towards them, to the victims, mostly women. Like two-thirds of the victims were women, and one-third men. And they, sometimes even kids, and also animals were attacked. Also animals. Very few people know that. 
Lots of animals were attacked. Now, this beam of light would cause these people to, to faint, sometimes for minutes, sometimes for hours, in a few cases for days. When they recover consciousness, when they recover, when they got back to their senses, and they could say or they could feel that they're very dizzy for days, like they have no strength, like they were very weak. And those who went to see the doctor Velaidi have burns in the upper part of the, the thorax, close to the shoulder, like three days old. But in fact, those burns were caused just a few, mi a few minutes or hours before. Now, Velaidi told me that, that he was, she, she was completely surprised because out of a sudden, someone would arrive there being held or being helped by the family, and, uh, and they would say, well, I was attacked by the light. They would call it the light, the suck phenomenon. Sometimes they would say the device. I was attacked by the device or the light. And she would treat the patient, and she asked, how long ago did this happen? Like two days, three days? How did you come to see me only now? And the victims would tell her, well, it just happened, doctor. It just happened a couple of hours ago. I couldn't manage to come here sooner. And she was puzzled because those burns were like two or three days old. The, the, the meat, the flesh of the victims were already rotten in some cases. So she treated as many as 400 patients and at least four died of her knowledge. Perhaps more, but we don't know. At least four people died, all of them. And lots of animals were died also. And the, 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 the major symptom was dizziness, weakness for days. Like Actually, I've been interviewing a few guys recently, like 207 and 208. I haven't been there this year yet, but I haven't been to the Amazon. I live like three or 4,000 miles from the Amazon. It's not easy to get that. Anyway, last time, the last times that I was there, I talked to people. Some people, some of the victims still feel dizzy, still feel weak, like they have never recovered. Like the lights took the energy away almost forever. It's a very vivid thing. If you go and visit those places, you will see that that's a very vivid thing. Something yeah. that she traumatized a lot of people. Did you speak, did you interview this doctor directly, AJ? Oh, yes. She, yes, she's my friend, yes. She's my friend, and she's an amazing woman. Amazing. And uh, after that, well, actually, let me tell you that she was a very brave woman. She was only 25 to 26 years old when she graduated. That was her first job in the middle of an island, in the middle of the jungle of an island in the Amazon. And he, she, she, was, she was completely uh, brave because she endured the most difficult situation to treat her patients. Besides, she was in the hot spot where UFOs were attacking everybody, and she was never attacked. There was one situation. One day, by sunset, she was walking back home after work in that small village. She had to walk like five or six blocks in those small village to get her place where she went to sleep. She was, she was with someone. She wasn't allowed to go anywhere by herself. Everybody wanted to take care of her. 
So the very few people that stay in the island, because 90% left, they just went away, they disappeared, they don't want to be there, so scared they were. But the, some of the people that were left there, they made a point in, don't, in not letting Velaide Cecine to walk by herself. Mm. Because she was considered like a savior or something of that people. She was treating them so carefully and such love. Such love. That's that's a precise word. She was having love for that people. She was taking care of them. And you know what? She was threatened by the military. The military once came to her to her sanitary unit, her small hospital, and said, Hey, doctor, you are not supposed to talk to your patients that they have seen objects that we don't know where they're from. You are supposed to tell them that they are hallucinating. Plus, take these pills. And Olanda once gave her a lot of pills and, and told her, ordered her, told her to, to give those pills to her patient. And she said, no, Captain, I will not do that. I will tell the truth to my patients. doesn't matter what you do to me. And remember that. Is what, what were those pills? Okay. What were the pills, AJ? I mean, pills to make people perhaps uh, believe that they have hallucinated. Pills to psychotropics, something like that. So Holanda was given instructions by the military that basically... See, this is where this gets a little weird. I mean, so Holanda say, okay, they're, they're investigating this, but they're also now being given a, an order by the military that they should drug the victims so that they Orlando. don't understand what's going on? Orlando was the, the, the commander of the Operation Saucer. He and his men were watching everybody to ask people not to talk publicly or to the press about the phenomena. And and the lady's scene, she was taking care of the people, the people who have been attacked. And she was ordered by Olanda to drug her patients. So they wouldn't speak about it. They probably, if they are drugged enough, they would think that actually they hallucinated. And there's nothing serious about that. No. In one particular day in, in the 70s, during Operation Saucer, Olanda brought from Belém, from the capital, some films about men arriving in the moon. And show to them, to the, uh, the small group of people that were left in the island, that the, like a few hundred people that were left in the island, they could see the screams of those films. And Orlando told them, see, what you guys have been seeing all over here are us. Something made by Americans. It's something made by us, humankind. It's not something that comes from space. Forget about it. So the idea was to make people believe that nothing extraordinary was, was happening. Because... It, it, actually, Orlando was more and more aware that something very extraordinary was taking place. And there was a lot of concern of what was going on. So now, here you've got this situation where you've got people, and this is like going on almost like every day, people are getting attacked by these things? Almost every day. You know, right. it started like uh, eventually sometimes uh, at the end of the day or the beginning of the day when it gets dark or something or during the night people couldn't sleep people couldn't sleep anymore were the attacks going on in the daylight and at night at some point the attacks were all day long so people would get together in in the small uh, shops or or at the church or at the local school the families would get together 
stay together because they have this thing that they believe that they, they were together, they wouldn't be attacked. But they were attacked even when they were together. So at some point, nobody could sleep. No, the people were starving because they couldn't go fishing anymore. They could go planting anymore. And no, nobody from, from the land, from the, the, the mainland, would, would accept to bring food for them. So food was missing. How many men did Holanda have with him? How much of a crew did he have with him? What size? From two to three dozen men. Depends. Sometimes they divided into groups in different locations. But uh, in most of the cases, they built a camping by this river beach called Umaita, which is in the northern part of uh, Colaris Island. Mm -hmm. It's a, a big beach, and they they would be there with all the camping, all the instruments. Uh, people recollect uh, equipment like radars, portable radars, lots of cameras, all stuff, detectors of several kinds. They were there. The main team were there, which is just a few blocks away from the, the small hospital run by Dr. Avelage. And eventually they would divide. Some people would stay at the base, at that beach, and some people would go to other areas, like Machadinho. Machadinho is the name of another beach in the southern portion of the island, or go to other islands. And eventually, right. when Holanda when, when went somewhere, the UFOs go with him. At no point does the Brazilian Air Force attempt to bring in planes to try to confront or engage yes. these UFOs. Yes, including helicopters. And at some point, almost there was a, a, an air collision with a helicopter when the UFO, one of the UFOs invested uh, against the, 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 heli the helicopter. And we have interviewed the uh, pilot, which is now deceased, but we have interviewed the pilot. Now, the, the government was very aware at some point that what was going on there was something very extreme, very extreme. Getting back to that... When finally, the main goal of Operation Saucer is reached, which is to establish contact with intelligences beyond the phenomenon, then the Operation Saucer is called off, is canceled, is shut down. I just don't believe. I never believed that. I've been, I've been chasing this stuff. I've been f pursuing information about Operation Saucer since the 80s. I tried many times to interview the Yolanda. In 82, in 86, in 92, in 94, he never would give me any interview. By the time I was getting material from several sources, leakages from here and there, pages that come to my knowledge, were given to me, were sent to me, photos, this and that. I have an obsession. I needed to know everything there was about a Persian saucer. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. 
Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Gedney, and I completely enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk. We've got A.J. Gavard. We're talking about the situation with regards to this Operation Saucer in Brazil and whether it was closed prematurely. Could it possibly have been, A.J., that they actually achieved their contact behind the scenes? They got what they wanted and that was it? See, I never really swallowed this. I never, I never actually believed that the Operation Saucer was ended just when it should be starting. Neither did Holanda. But we didn't have any evidence of something else happening after Operation Saucer. But now we have a very important witness confirming to us, and this is something that will surface in a few months, I suppose, when I, when I have my homework done about it, when I have more information that I can show to you guys, that I can show in the conference and I can prove I will talk about it more boldly. But right now, what we know is that Operation Saucer never ended. Or actually, the formal Operation Saucer, the way it was conceived, yes, it is stopped. But then, a new set of men was built in another operation, 10 times more secret, because Operation Saucer wasn't very secret at all, especially at the ending, because the military at the Operation Saucer, they were conducting their activities in front of the, the people in the in the in Colaris Island. So it wasn't very secret at all. There was a lot of leakage. They didn't know the, what they were dealing with in the beginning. Sometimes some of the military would invite people, civilians from, from, uh, from the city, to come over and, and take part of a few activities. But anyway, when it was shut down, it was transformed into something 10 times more secret in a very reserved level. Operation Saucer was ended and another operation took place, which had the goal of continuing the contacts with aliens in the Amazon. And, and this witness who gave us this report is one of the most serious men in the military in Brazil. And he also confirmed my suspicion from the beginning. And that was new phase of Operation Saucer was run under control of U.S. military and CIA people. Now, what about it there? When you get this information, you know, you go back and you talk about the information that's been declassified, right? This, it, it seems, AJ, that this keeps a perception that the, the, the Brazilian military has hard information. So the thing is, if you have a situation where you have a secret project, like this operation that you're alluding to now, mm -hmm. why, if you have that going, why do you also have the Brazilian military releasing documentation about stuff that had been going on at the same time? Isn't it better for the, for the Brazilian military to shut up completely about this the way the U.S. military has? Well, because actually the, the, the papers, the documents that has been released, they don't say anything about American taking part in Operation Saucer, and they don't suggest that anything happened after Operation Saucer. Mm -hmm. They don't suggest. So, and actually what has been released about Operation Saucer, it's peanuts. 
it's a few hundred pages of documents that we that it's it's everything but that like, we already know. It's like right, the but, tip of the iceberg. What's big is under the water, man. What's big is under the water. See, but the like in, in the United States, AJ. So here's the thing, though. In the United States, the military says nothing. They basically don't acknowledge the topic at all. And and that's that's their that's essentially the the official line is that there is no official line that basically there is nothing going on at all, but yet here in you have this situation where the Brazilian military keeps releasing stuff now whether or not it mentions any involvement of the U.S. military is separate, but it actually it it kind of makes it sound like they've been gathering well certainly they've been gathering information. So up until now, right? Yes, yes, that's that's correct. I guess some hints, uh, some tips of, of why is this happening. First, that is our movement, which was a bold one. Lots of people wanted a reply from the government. Lots of people want the government to do something about what we were asking. The press did its job of, of requesting the government to, to come clear about uh, the UFO stuff. So the government is complying. The government is coming clear, but in a very humble way. Instead of saying nothing about it, they give us peanuts. And I think that they think that we'll be satisfied with that. Second, there is also a, a number of military and authorities, civilian authorities in Brazil, who want to come legitimate clear about it. They want this stuff to be put publicly. These are people who don't like secret. They know that some part of this whole UFO thing maybe have to be kept still secret for how long, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But some information, uh, according to their views, should and can be released right now. And this is, this is what happened. And third, there is also a law that was passed in 2005 that kind of changed the way the government deals with classified secret and ultra-secret material in Brazil. Before that law, when something was ultra-secret, am I speaking correctly, ultra-secret? Yeah, top secret. Yeah, Top secret, all right, top secret. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, most of the UFO stuff is classified top secret in Brazil. Now, before this law, Whatever was top secret, UFO or not, could be kept hidden from the public for 50 long years, five decades. After that law, this time was shortened to 30 years. So whatever is top secret in Brazil, it can be kept away from the public for more than 30 years. Let me ask you a quick question. Let me interrupt with a quick question, AJ. Okay, 30 years. But can they make exceptions? Can they say, well, because this is ultra-top-secret uh, yeah. or whatever? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, and, and plus, we don't know what, it, what they have. They can come to us and say, what we have is this, and give us 100 pages, and say, this is what we have top-secret, and we are very happy to give you this. But they wouldn't admit that they have 10,000 more pages that are top secret, and they are not releasing. So it's up to them to release what they have. 
nobody's watching them. Nobody can say to them, oh, okay, you gave us this 500 pages. What about the 15 other 100 pages that we want? All right. All right. Question, AJ. The, the, yes. the materials that they give you, okay? Mm -hmm. Two yes. questions. Question one, how heavily are they redacted or edited? How heavily are they blacked out? How? Uh, then let me understand what you ask. Yeah, like they in, were, in, in the like United the States, when you, request, when you request documents, a lot of the time, most of the document has big black lines through it, so you oh, can't right. read most of it. No. None of the material that we got have any black on it. All okay. the material were typed stuff, generally right. typed stuff, memos, reports, documents produced uh, in, 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 uh, like uh, okay. situations. Mm -hmm. right. None, none of it. Everything came. Uh, Any photographic <laughs> evidence? But let me please. The second yeah. part of the question important. Any photographic evidence? Oh yes, uh, in the Operation Saucer, we had about 200 pictures of UFOs. This documentation, we have Xerox, Xerox copies of that in a PDF format. Everybody can download it from our website, ufo.com.br. But you can physically go to the National Archives in Brasilia, the federal capital in Brasilia, and you, and you can examine the actual papers and the actual photos of which we have only a copy, and it's in our website. Now, okay. everybody can do that. This everybody is a stupid question, AJ, very stupid question. No there are no English versions of this, are there? No, I'm sorry. But uh, we have a team of volunteers in the Brazilian UFO magazine. We are we're doing our best to have most of this material in English. It's not easy because... It's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, and we, we, don't, we don't have that many volunteers. So some material, like uh, material from the 80s, like uh, the official night of UFOs in Brazil, which we, what we call, uh, what we call a quoting invasion that we had uh, in May 1986, this material is almost, uh, and almost in English so, uh, uh, right now. And it will be this uh, uh, will be sent out to all over the world as soon as we have this in full uh, in full uh, English and readable English. All right, Qu question for you. Let because we haven't talked yet about that night at all. But but before we do, okay, from Colaris in the evidence that you've been able to find, is there any photographic evidence of the wounds and the burns that people got oh, from yes. these encounters? Oh, yes. We got those photos from several sources, from leakages, from, from the newspapers, from the, those times. Some reporters, some newsmen came and gave to us those photos. We have published them all. And also in the reports that came with Operation Saucer, we have a few photos of the victims. Yes, yes. Plus, the light is scene, the doctor who treated the 400 patients, she was very thoughtful with her material, and she had reports of everything. It now belongs to the, the, the government of the state of Pará, and we have just filed a request for those files to surface, to be given to, to the UFO researchers. Files of the desert, personal health files from each of the 400 patients. Okay, from that, that she, so maybe blood tests, samples blood tests. of skin... Photographs of what they had. Was she taking pictures? Yes, she took some pictures, and most they were blood tests. And these blood tests are very re relevant because they prove that the reason why these people have been calling the UFOs such was true. 
they believed they were taking blood out of their bodies. And those blood tests made by the lidocaine prove that most people who undertake this test were anemic. They were missing some something in their blood. Actually, they're missing blood in general, and the, the blood that they had left were missing something. Hey, we're just about ready to break, AJ, so this is going to be very interesting to pursue this matter of the missing blood. And ladies and gentlemen, it has nothing to do with the subject of vampires, which was on the Faracast just a few weeks ago with Brad Steiger. We have AJ Gavard, the editor of the Brazilian UFO magazine. We are discussing the release of a whole lot of information from the Brazilian government and all the surrounding issues more on the other side of the Paracast. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. We have A.J. Gavard. He is the editor of the Brazilian UFO magazine. It's been a while since he's been back on the show. But right now we're observing the release of an incredible amount of UFO information declassified by the government of Brazil. Now, you were mentioning before we took our hourly break, AJ, about people who apparently had been subjected to some sort of blood test and they were anemic? Yes. All the people that were attacked by the Chupa Chupa, actually the word Chupa, S-H-U-P-A, means to suck. So they called the phenomenon suck suck because they believed that the, the, the beans of light were used to extract some blood out of their bodies. And actually, the, the UFO phenomenon was taking blood out of people there. Nothing to do with vampires or chupacabras or something like that, but this is something that happened. And I don't know why it, it didn't happen again after Operation Sorcerer, I mean, after the, the, the seven, uh, 77. Now, Velaidis has seen she had an idea of why were those aliens taking blood out of people. So did Olanda. Now, for Velaidis, they thought that they used, uh, actually, sorry, she thought that they, the intelligences beyond phenomenon, were using whatever is in our blood to conceive some sort of vaccine to be used by their species if they decided to come back. Now, this is just her idea based on what uh, her personal, uh, based on her personal things towards this this thing. She took care, she treated over 400 patients. That's her idea. Now, Orlando believed that those aliens were stuck there because they, for some reason, they couldn't get back to where they came from. So they were stuck there. We don't know why it, this happened. We, we don't know why. Now, see, we had great UFO researchers, a uh, great UFO researcher, a man from who came from the United States to Brazil many times. I had the pleasure to meet him, so many other of my colleagues. He was Bob Pratt. He was initially yeah. a reporter from... I'm glad you're bringing this up, because I was going to ask you about his book, The UFO Danger Zone, AJ, yeah. but, but his book takes place, a lot of his cases take place many years later, in the 90s. Yes, but he also was in, in, uh, in, in Belém do Pará talking to Holanda at those times where the Operation Saucer had just been ended. He was there. He was there. And his book re recollects lots of cases that happened not only in the Amazon, but also in the northeast part of Brazil. 
in the states of Ceará, Paraíba, Piauí, uh, Rio Grande do Norte, Sergipe, Maranhão. Those were states, like Pernambuco, to name a few. Bahia is another. Those were states where people who's not living in the seashore, they're very, very poor. Even now, when they live in small towns in the, in the interior of those those states and for some reason that we just can't understand why these people were subject to a lot of suffering they were attacked on a regular basis these cases were covered by Baprat and I, I mentioned Baprat because he did a very thoughtful uh, work of collecting information he actually was a real UFO researcher he would go into those areas talk to the people, spend days with the people, with harmed people, bound with them. It was. It is very important to say. Yeah, I, I have, and I've read his book, uh, AJ, The UFO Danger Zone. It, it's a fascinating book. It, it begs a question, though, and, and I wonder what your, your thought is about this, in that so many of these types of encounters seem to center in that part of the world specifically. In, in your research, do you find comparisons or, or a, a comparative, uh, comparable situation like this, like you have going on, for example, in Coladas? Have you seen this anywhere else in the history of UFO activity in South America? No. Or wh why, do, why is this so prevalent in Brazil? Why no. do you think? I don't know. I don't know why the suck suck phenomenon was concentrated in Colares and the surrounding areas. I don't know why people in that particular spot of Brazil, as well as some areas in the northeast region, were attacked so many times, so uh, with so uh, merciless, merciless. Let me let me ask you a question, Agent. I don't I don't have no. Let me tell you just to, to make yeah. a point. I don't have a clue for why this happened in Brazil. And why it happened in those particular locations and nowhere else in the world? So here's a question for you, right? Sure. There's something that if, if for people who are genetic scientists, uh, the country of Iceland is very interesting because um, from a biological point of view, there has not been a lot of crossbreeding of different cultures in Iceland. The genetic material there, basically the, the DNA, is fairly isolated. Okay, you don't have a lot of cross-cultural pollination, so you have a relatively very, uh, I don't want to use the term inbred because that wouldn't be accurate, but it's very isolated, the, the mutation of the DNA. And I'm not a biologist, but that's my understanding of Iceland. Question mm -hmm. to you, this Colares area, does it tend to have people who are from the region and there's not a lot of people moving into the region? Is it a very isolated area? No, no. no. We, we thought of it. We thought of it, but no. Actually, those people where they have uh, interbreedings from all over the, the, the northeast, northeast right. part of Brazil. Okay, no. so it's not, a, it's not an issue of genetic isolation then. Well, I'm not saying no, because perhaps those aliens know something about that people that we don't. I don't know. I have made the question for myself so many times. Why? 
So, no, so here's I, another I, question I, about the region. Does this region have a long history of UFO sightings that extends past before this time? That, yes, yes. If you go to anywhere in the Amazon. Now, why don't you do that? It's fine. It's, it's nice to do that. You, you can come like, you can come to a place like Belém, which down the Amazon River, closer to the, to the, to the ocean. Mm-hmm. And you can take a boat upriver for three or five days and you go to Manaus. And this boat, it stops in several small ports, very small ports, small villages, very far away and remote. Sometimes you can take small boats from those big boats and go afterwards up river. And you can talk to the people and you can see how they live. And if you do that, if you talk to people, I guarantee you, or anybody who is listening to us, if you talk to people, every 10 that you talk to, nine of them will tell you very, very amazing stories. And at least two or three will tell you several stories that happened to them, that happened to them, stories of UFOs very close by. Now, I've been investigating UFOs over the Amazon for quite some time, and I came across the most amazing and interesting stories, most intense stories told me by those people. Now, we're talking about people who, who live isolated in the jungle, that go to a, a bigger town like Manaus, which is uh, less than a million people, but they go like once every year, every two years. Mm-hmm. They don't have TV, perhaps they would have a radio. People who live isolated from the world. People who have never, have never seen a cell or phone or something, who don't have a clue of what uh, is uh, that thing called internet. We're talking about people like that. If you come and talk to them, they will tell you very emotional stories of things that they lived. Very interesting story. Now, you won't lose any trip. If you go there, and I guarantee you will find lots of very interesting stories. Actually, right now, I'm organizing to go back to the Amazon by the end of November. I should go by the end of October, <laughs> but I have lots of things to do there, but I'm going on the end of November. If anyone who are listening to us wants to join me, feel free to do so. I'll give you my email address so you can contact me and I can give you information and you can jump the boat. Let's go. And I'll show. If any of our listeners feel like this subject is very important to be investigated and they, if they can contribute financially to our expedition, we need tickets, we need uh, rent boats, rent airplanes, we need equipment. If anyone in position to help us to build up the necessary funds for that, uh, that goal, that research expedition, please contact me as well because we are in great need for that. It's too bad we don't have that lotto, winning lotto ticket, Gene. Oh, boy. I think I'd be taking a trip down there with AJ, get some good uh, high-definition equipment. I was thinking here also that if we have a (laughs) well-connected, fat-pocketed listener out there who wants to help AJ finance this, maybe they can finance a plane ticket for David Biedney? I think Robert Bigelow, yeah, Robert Bigelow is too busy listening to Coast to Coast. Oh, that's too bad. But now uh, the question, AJ, you know, Bob Bigelow we... had just uh, have just sent some uh, a team to Brazil. Yes, there there was uh, these uh, these guys. I met them. They they are from Bass, 
Bigelow Aerospace. They're doing quite a nice survey about uh, UFOs in Brazil, and I understand that they have been also in Argentina and some other places collecting information, talking to researchers. And they just sent me an email recently saying that they now intend to go to the Amazon and investigate UFOs in Colares, which is very good because the more, the better. The more people investigating UFOs there, the better. This is my position for this, David and Gene. If I can contribute with my information, my knowledge of the subject, I will do so. Because this, this is something that has to go all over, boldly. And Easy. for some time, you know, for some time in conferences in the United States and Europe, people wanted to hear about UFOs in the Amazon. And there was always uh, someone... Someone of us would be in those conferences. But for quite some time, I, I don't see any more interest uh, in, in the big stuff of what's going on in Brazil. I see the programs of several conferences going on in the United States and Europe, for instance, in the United States. I see what people are talking about there. Is you talking about Roswell? Come on, Roswell happened 200 years ago, man. We have well, AJ, listen, Roswell happened about 400, 500,000 years ago as far as getting more evidence is concerned. Hi, this is Michelle from Namecheap. We don't have millions of dollars to get race car drivers or models to endorse us, but we will do everything we can to make those who buy domains or web hosting from us as happy as possible. We offer a free SSL as well as free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers or troublemakers. We won't bug you with obnoxious upsells when you check out or in your inbox. But most importantly, our customer service team really cares about you. It's what we pride ourselves in the most because it's your endorsement that means the most to us. If you like what you hear, get deals on both our domains and our web hosting at radio.namecheap.com radio.namecheap.com and be sure to play our contest by following us on Twitter. Thanks, Michelle. And by the way, listeners, please use the coupon code Radio Day. That's Radio Day, one word, for special discounts at Namecheap. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. A.J. Gavard, the editor of Brazilian UFO magazine, we're talking about the disclosure of a number of documents by the Brazilian government and a lot about the very ramifications. One of the things I should say before David chimes in is that I am being very tired of Roswell. I don't see where we're going to ever get any more information about it. It's just one of those things, and let's go on. David? Yeah. Well, you know, this, of course, begs the question, AJ, in the documents that have been released about the 80s, has there been anything further to surface about Virginia? Not yet. Not yet. Virginia is happening in 1996, so we're going to have to wait to the end of this year, perhaps next year, when the government will come clear about the 90s. Okay. I got my, my, I, I'm getting my, th I'm actually, I just thought of 1980 and Rendlesham, so I'm getting my dates mixed up. 
Yes, but you know, I tell you something. I doubt that the government will release any information at all about Virginia. I doubt. Why? Why? I will be seen, I will be completely surprised if it happens. Well, first, it's not an air air force stuff. It's an army stuff, and the army is much more concerned about its secrets than the air force. Second, the Virginia case is known to to be the most kept secret in the Brazilian military stuff. It's a very secret one. We know that people died capturing the creatures in Virginia. Right. Supposedly one of those police officers that held that handled one of the creatures reportedly. That's it. And perhaps someone else, but we we don't have any confirmation of that. And this is very serious stuff and very recent, just happened in 1996. So have you, so you have, you've been to the area? Yes, many times. You've spoken to some of the people there? In Virginia? Yeah. Sure, yes, yes. I spoke with uh, most of the witnesses, uh, the civilian and a few military as well. Uh, I've been there like uh, two or three weeks after the case happened and several other times after that. And I've been there like in 2007 with Roger Lear, and Paul Burkett, they came to Brazil, and I, I took Roger Lear to talk to a doctor in Virginia, who we know for sure that he was in the hospital, as he was on duty at that night, when the second captured creature was taken to. And that man was asked by the military to take a look at the creature, and for, for some time he spoke about it. But for, for some reason, he decided to shut up about it and haven't been speaking about it anymore. When he spoke about it, what did he say? He said that he, he saw a creature that was in pain, but he didn't know where to start with, what he could possibly do. He described that at some point, trying to help as much as he possibly could, that suffering creature under the eyes of the military and along with a few of his colleagues, he was almost giving up. He was very frustrated because he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what, how to start and out of a sudden environment in the room, the surgery room, the, the, the emergency room became yellowish, entirely yellowish. And for some reason that he don't understand why, his thoughts about that creature became very clear and he kind of understood in his brain, in his mind, as a transmission from the creature that he, that doctor, couldn't do anything else to help her. It's too late. It lasted like a few seconds only, then the yellowish environment just uh, became to normal again. And, and the man was a little more peaceful with himself, that he tried everything that he c- could possibly do to help the creature. Now, we, we all know that for a few more minutes, the creature was kept in that, in that hospital, in that room. But it became obvious that as it was a Saturday night, that hospital was a public hospital, lots of people over, many doctors, many nurses, the creature just couldn't be kept there without attracting too much attention. Then it was taken to another smaller 
and and private hospital far away from downtown and kept there in a more isolated, a more private uh, uh, room where much less people would have contact with that with that creature. And when it happened, after the creature was taken away from the, the public hospital to the other hospital, the military in charge, he threatened all the employees that saw the creature, the nurses, the doctors, the employees, and said that nobody was supposed to speak anything about that. Otherwise, they would suffer penalties for that. And nobody did for quite some time. And eventually, something would uh, surface and would leak about it. But this, this information, a lot of other information about the Virginia case, it's, it's considered now, and it has been confirmed to us by top military in our country, it is considered one of the most well-kept secret in the military about UFOs in Brazil. I doubt that it will come clean, that will be, it, it will be disclosed any time this year or next year or the, the year after. I don't, I don't Why? Know. Why? What, is the, what is the reason for the secrecy, AJ? Because it's much bigger than everything before. It's much bigger. We're talking about the crash of a UFO in the 90s. We're talking about the retrieve of, uh, of, of, of alive creatures in the 90s. It's, it's not something that happened in the 40s or the 50s. It's not something that happened in the 60s or the 70s. It's something that just happened. And the government was deeply involved in covering it up with the participation of U.S. military, as I have disclosed before in several conferences that I did even in the United States. Now, this is all a fact. It's a consensus here that this information won't surface. Won't surface. But because even about things much more in the past, like, like Operation Saucer, for instance, why the government doesn't release uh, the films, the 16 hours of Super 8 and Super 16 millimeters film over the Amazon. Why? We know that they exist. They have been confirmed by Uranjo Holanda, and some other people have seen those films that we know of. But why isn't the government releasing it? Out of the 2,000 2, pages that, were, that we know that were resulted from the Operation Southside, the government only gave us like 400, 500. Where is the other 1,500 actually? Where are they? We know of 500 pictures of UFOs during Operation Southside, but we only got about 200 pictures. Where are the other 300? And nothing about the 16 hours of films. Where are they? Now, I have interviewed a man, a pilot, called Gerson Maciel de Brito. He was involved in a sighting of a huge UFO during a flight in February 8, 1982. This is one of the cases that have been released now. We knew the case already because it became public. But what was dealt uh, in the headquarters of the military about the case, like uh, the detection by the radar, uh, who gave this order or that order, what happened. I mean, uh, like traffic control is involved. We only could know now in the release of the 80s. Now, but, but much before that, much before this release, I mean, in, by the time it happened in the, in the 80s, I interviewed Gerson Maciel de Brito, who was already, uh, who, who had already 26 Thousand hours of flight. That's a very skilled man. He was instructor of pilots in American Airlines and Canadian Airlines. He was one of the top 
pilots in Brazil. He was flying his 727 Boeing from Fortaleza to Sao Paulo, and he was followed by a UFO detected by radar for quite two hours, including the pilot had the time to try to make some telepathic contact with whoever was inside of that ball, that sphere of light that was chasing this, his 727. Now, after it all happened, this man suffered a lot of criticism in Brazil, some skepticism in Brazil. Some people said that he was, in, I was mad or something like that, but he was hurt. He was hurt like any other person would, who would come clear about something like that would be hurt. And because of that, in 1983, about one year after the case happened, he was in a flight with his company to the city of Belém, where William Jolanda lived. And the, the airport in Belém is very close to the first aerial regional command where the operation saucer was based. Now, Holanda was serving there. When he knew that Brito, the, the pilot, was coming to town, he made a point in getting him for a visit to the military headquarters, to the airfield. And he was given the chance to watch a few of the 17 hours of film made by the Operation Social Military. Mm -hmm. And he described to us that he saw in one particular film a huge mothership with several hundred feet long with lots of small objects all over. He described to me, to me and I quote, like bees over their, how they call the bee house or whatever. The hive, you know? the hive, yeah. The hive. Lots of objects coming in and out, the bigger object over the Amazon River. And this was filmed by our military. This is what is in those 16 hours of film, David and Gene. This but is what, what, did, what is the benefit for keeping this secret, AJ? Why does the military want to sit on this clear evidence? Why? I know. I don't know. I, you know, for some reason they are disclosing some material that they think that are disclosable, material that are releasable, but lots of material mm -hmm. they are not releasing. I, as I told you before, they are releasing only the tip of the iceberg. The hardcore, the most dramatic information is under the water. You hear it on TV, you hear it on radio, cash for gold. Yes, it's an enticing phrase during these challenging days, but the real question is how much cash are you going to get for your gold and silver? Are you going to get the best value? Well, you can get the best price from a company whose owners have decades of experience in the business. Welcome to Goldbug. The folks at Goldbug warn you that many of those high-budget gold buyers are paying far less than you deserve for your gold and silver. Goldbug will give you top dollar each and every time. To learn more, call one 866 596 6134 that number again, 1-866-596-6134 for Goldbug. Or visit us online at goldbug.com. That's Goldbug with two Gs, goldbug.com. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. 
A.J. Gavard, editor of Brazilian UFO magazine. We're here to talk about the release of thousands of pages of documents declassified by the Brazilian government. Okay, A.J., you go to the government and you say, hey, guys, in Portuguese, right? Hey, guys, what about the rest of these documents? What about thus and so? When are we getting them? Do they say something? Do they respond? No, no. Actually, what we are about to do is coming, we're going legal about it. It means uh, we have asked nicely, uh, peacefully, let's say, for that information that we know that exists. If the government don't come with that information that we are requesting, of which we have proof of existence, I know, we know that this material exists, and by law, it should be released. If the government doesn't, we will come legal. We already have a lawyer. Actually, we have several. We have one coordinating the others. And we will file a complaint, a legal procedure, asking the government to release the material because it's law. It can't be kept. These documents, they should be released. It's a matter of law. If it is the military of the government, whoever is holding this material, it is against the law. And whoever is doing this, whoever is in charge, can be responsible and suffer the consequences for that. But one just... thing, one question though here. One sure. question occurs to me. Okay, you file the legal action. Can't they just say, hey, we don't have any such documents and this guy doesn't know what he's talking about? They can. But the reason that we selected three major cases for the operations, uh, for the, 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 the movement UFO's Freedom of Information Now, is strategic. We could ask the government to release us lots of information about the UFOs in Brazil, but it wouldn't, it would be useless. Perhaps it wouldn't help. What we did, we selected three major cases, which were one from the 70s, one from the 80s, and one from the 90s. And we, we selected this case, we chose this case because these are cases of which we know when we have evidence of what is that about. The UFOs documented by the government, like the Operation Saucer. We have confirmation from several uh, sources of the amount of material that exists. We have information that there are 2,000 pages, 500 pictures, and 16 hours of video. We have this. They can't come to, to us and say, we don't know what these guys are talking about, because we have how to prove that this documentation was produced. We have witnesses still alive who have given us testimonies that this material exists. Now, the problem may be other, Gene and David. The problem may be that our government isn't exactly very organized with his things. The films can be destroyed, can be lost, or perhaps in somewhere, is in somewhere that nobody knows where they are. Like, just recently, uh, in July, some civilian, a UFO researcher, came to us and said, I have a bunch of documents from the Brazilian Air Force. And we asked him him to release this material that he was holding privately for his own use. So he did. He came up with 13,000 pages. 13,000 pages and lots of drawings and lots of material from the Brazilian Air Force that someone while he was in the military and active, he gave to him. Someone came to him and said, see, I want you to have this, and gave it to him. 
Actually, the man who gave this material to him said, you are supposed to go public with this. And he never did. He pissed us off. But he never did that. Eventually, we made some pressure and he came out with this material. Now, the reason I'm speaking about this is when the government came and made the disclosure of documents in this, of the 60s and the 70s, lots of material were missing. Why they were missing? Because they are in the civilian's hand. That guy, that guy who eventually, after we did some pressure, decided that it was better for him to give this material to us, which he did. But if he hadn't done it, the government could release, because it is material from the government, from the military, that was in civilians' hand. Now, if this 13,000 pages belonged to someone or was in possession of someone who didn't want to release it, to give it to the Campaign for Freedom of Information now, we would never know. Because this is what happened. Now, the government in Brazil is making an effort, it's an, it's an initiative to go public and, and ask people, civilians all over, ex-military, former militaries, people retired, whoever, families, if you guys have material that you believe should belong to the government, that was taken by your relatives or you taken by yourselves that are in your possession or your family's possession, please return it to the National Archives. We need this material. Now, this is what the government intends to do, not only about UFOs, but about every subject. Now, military here and there, they decide to keep reports for themselves, thousands of pages for themselves, photos. I wanted to interrupt you here. It sounds to me like it's a mess because it sounds to me that we have any individual agency or individual working with the government can keep documents for themselves and not give it to the government to store, to collate, to use? Yes, actually this is illegal. But some people did, especially in the 70s when the dictatorship period stopped, when democracy came back to our lives, lots of people kept material for themselves. Mm -hmm. and some of these people died, or this material was lost, maybe this is destroyed for some reason. But there is still a lot of material from those dark days of dictatorship or other days that are still in civilian possessions, and the government doesn't know about it. So maybe the, five, the 1,500 pages that we are requesting the government to give us, let's give the government the, the benefit of doubt. No, let's let's say that the government doesn't have this this, this fifteen hundred pages that we are requesting. Even then, we have to go legal about it. We have to go. We have to file a lawsuit because we don't care who has it. Who whose fault is it that the government doesn't have the, the those fifteen hundred pages? We don't care. We want the pages. We want the government to go to do whatever it has to do to get those pages. Those pages belong to the population, to the Brazilian people. If the government wasn't responsible or organized or thoughtful enough to keep that material in their possession, and now it, it is in someone's possession, then the government is supposed to be held uh, guilty for that and, and had to come public with this and admit. AJ, how does your, you know, we have a problem in our country here in the United States with the fact that the media does not really treat this topic in any kind of a serious fashion. What about the Brazilian media? What kind of cooperation do you, a small independent magazine, 
get with the mainstream media? Do they treat this with any seri- a degree of seriousness, or is it treated like entertainment as it is here in the United States? A small portion of the press treat this as an entertainment, as a amusing thing. Another portion of the press also don't pay any attention to this, just like the United States. Don't pay any mm-hmm. attention. Actually, the, the largest circulation magazine in Brazil doesn't even touch the subject, doesn't even talk one single comma about the subject. We don't know why. But there are some portions of the press, and happily, we have also a very large circulation magazine and a few national uh, TV programs and radio programs that do treat this subject seriously. Now, when we had the Operation Saucer files released, we called the press. See, see, the documents are in the National Archives in Brasilia. Lots of press went there and they published material about it. This is what we do. We, ha- we have been doing this for quite some time. When we have information that we have about UFOs and uh, solid information, witnesses, uh, films, photos, whatever, we showed the press. See, that guy has information uh, in that town that was a site or something. If the press doesn't have that information before us, we tell them, or to the people in the press that we trusted, we tell them, we give them the stories. And what they do, they just they do just about the same when they have the stories before us. Now, it's, 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 it's common that someone from the national TV program, some national circulation magazine, call me here at home and say, hey, AJ, have you know have you knowledge of this or that that is going on in this area of Brazil? Someone just called here our our office to tell to report a case or something, and we can then go and investigate if we don't have that information yet before the press. Now we have a symbiosis. We have a good partnership with lots of uh, major uh, and national and also lots of local uh, magazines, newspapers, TV, and radio programs. And because we are very serious about what we do here, now uh, the press respects what we do. Now we're not playing; we're not playing games of asking the government to come clear about UFOs. No, we're doing something serious. We want this to be done. And plus, it's not for us, our small group of researchers. No, whatever comes to our hand goes immediately to the website. And from our website, goes to any other website because people is being downloaded all the material that we got and putting their websites and don't even give the credit for them. Well, okay, what can we do? It's a, it's a free world. People can do that. It's material don't don't belong to us. Plus, as I told you in the beginning, this material that we are requesting, we are not requesting for the UFO researchers. We are requesting requesting for the society. The, the campaign UFO's Freedom of Information Now, it was designed to make the government to come open about UFOs to the people. And this is why the best venue where these documents should be sent to is the National Archives in Brazil and in Rio, as long as they are released. So they are released also to the UFO community. And what we're doing, we benefit, we benefit from this by going there and and picking up the material. Anybody can go there and can make copies of the material. And there's lots of information very interesting there. Something yeah, perhaps exactly. you guys know, but Brazil, Brazil was the first country in the world to admit the UFOs. Do you know that? 
Now, most people think that it was France back in 1976. With the but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, in 1976, uh, the president of France, uh, Langiscard d'Estaing, uh, ordered his minister of defense to come public about UFOs, which he did in national television. That was in 1976, when then uh, it was known that the France had a program to investigate UFOs openly. But much before that, in 1952, 52, a man from Brazil, at that time, a top military called Coronel Adil de Oliveira. He was very interested in the UFO subject, and he undertook a, a trip to United States where he got information about subject from the military of the U.S. Air Force. And he came back to Brazil, and he put a meeting, an open meeting in Rio. That was in 1952, in the 50s. Imagine that. And he put a meeting with members of the press, members of the military, members from society, lots of people, over 300 people, and declared that the UFOs are serious. And the Brazil was the attempt to investigate their nature. It happened in the 50s, much before France, much before anybody else. Before so, we run out of time, AJ, we, we mentioned it, but we haven't talked about the materials about the incident of May 19th, 1986. Could you give us a synopsis? In 1986, we, in, precisely on May 19th, we had what we call an invasion. <laughs> that what we can call it because there is no other word to use. Now, starting at about 9 p.m. on May 19th, balls of light, big spheres of light could be seen here and there, especially over and close to the airports of Sao Paulo and Rio. And between these two cities, which are the largest cities in South America, the largest cities in Brazil, Rio and Sao Paulo, apart from each other like uh, 200 uh, some miles, there is another town called São José dos Campos. Now, it is in São José dos Campos that are most our main factories. Uh, we have in the, uh, air, aeronautics industries, weapon industry, industries, technology industries, all placed in São José dos Campos. It's like uh, Silicon Valley so to say. Over those areas, Rio, São Paulo, and in between them, São José dos Campos, we had, by the end of that night, approximately 1 a.m. in the middle of that night, actually, of May 19 to May 20, we had 21 big spheres. They all in a size of an estimate of 300 feet in diameter. Now, can you imagine something like that? It's like a urban block. A block is generally 300 feet or more or less. Can you imagine 21 big spheres in the sky jamming air traffic in Rio, São Paulo, São José dos Campos, also in Brasilia, also in Belo Horizonte, all the major cities. What were, the, uh, what were the characteristics of the movement of these things? How did they, they move? Were, they were flying and sometimes in formation, sometimes isolated. When it became obvious that something very extraordinary was going on, the military decided to scramble jets. And Mirage jets also, and also F-5E jets from several airfields in the, in the area were scrambled to identify and pursue the objects. That was quite something because 
for two hours at least there was a ride in the sky a big pursuit made by at least seven different jets all over seven different jets AJ is there any kind of photographic or video evidence of this we still don't have it but of course there are there are evidences radar tapes the, the talks between the pilots themselves and the pilots and their bases and the pilots and the, and the, and the radar controllers and everything. Now, we just came into possession of a document classified top secret from the Ministry of Aeronautics in Brazil signed by Brigadier José Pessoa Cavalcante de Albuquerque. He was a commander of the Defense Command in Brazil. He was the guy describing what happened on that night. This was just released from the military. It's a very strong and intense document, very, with several pages, with transcripts of everything that happened during that night. What plane or what jet pursued how many balls here and there, from where to where. During some time, the UFOs were being chased by the jets. Some of the time, it was the vice versa, was the UFOs chasing the jets. In one circumstances, one jet was being chased by four or five different balls, big balls. Now, wow, you know, this sounds like the 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO case in some respects. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We have A.J. Gavard, editor of the Brazilian UFO magazine. We're talking about the disclosure of a fair amount of material from the Brazilian government and the fact that there's a hell of a lot more material that has yet to be disclosed. We don't have an awful lot of time left, AJ, and maybe we could focus on a few things here before we maybe sum it up. Just read a few lines for you of this documentation. Oh, please, go ahead. On the final considerations, the conclusions, on item three, and everybody listening to us can go to the ufo.com.br for Brazil and download this paper. It's, it's in, in Portuguese, but uh, what a better chance to learn Portuguese, huh? Well, on the item <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> of final considerations, <laughs> it is said, as a conclusion of the facts described by the pilots and air traffic controller, it uh, is our understanding that the phenomena detected and observed were, quote, solid material and were under some sort of intelligent control, end quote. What about it? What about it? When well, were they were, 
they were smart and they they didn't use the term extraterrestrial, which means that they left it open. But that no, and that's good because we need to understand that we may be dealing with something more complicated. Yeah, well, we never use the word extraterrestrial, no. Right, right. Now, I have a question for you. Here's an odd question, AJ. Um, yes. Apparently, there is in Brazil one nuclear power plant, the Angra power plant. Angra Brasileis, yes. There are a complex of three uh, nuclear plants. I believe the one is in full power, the other, the second is in half power, and the, the third is right. about to be finished. Right. It's one, it's one facility, though. It's one facility. Yes. Have there been reports of UFO activity above that facility? Oh, yes. Just like United States, just like in, in, in Europe, yes. There are many sites. Actually, the Navy has a nuclear facility in the interior of the state of Sao Paulo, which also is constantly overflown by UFOs. A nuclear power facility or a nuclear research facility? A nuclear research facility, thank you. Mm. Yes. Okay, so you have you have a history in the researching you're doing. You have a history of reports of UFO activity over these facilities. Yes, we do. Also over airfields all over the country and uh, major airports. Now, one of the biggest airports in Brazil is located in a city close to Sao Paulo. It is related as, is referred as Sao Paulo Airport, Guarulhos. But actually, it's in this small town called Guarulhos. This is, has a heavy, heavy traffic of, of uh, airlines from all over the world coming in and out, and also has a, also a heavy traffic of UFOs as well. Just recently, he got a report from someone who lives nearby who witnessed a UFO just over the airport with some of the Boeings coming, uh, coming in and out, just uh, going around it. <laughs> As they couldn't, they couldn't land. They couldn't land because there was something big just over the, the runaway. Amazing, isn't it? I just want to change the subject a little bit, AJ. Yes, sure. Um, because something that has been coming up a lot on the show recently are issues of people's disclosures, people's demands for disclosure, and credibility. So now, now you know, and I don't have to tell you that in the United States, Specifically, the media does not treat this topic very well. We have a lot of problems here. Unfortunately. And, um, unfortunately, this is why I asked you about how the media treats the topic in Brazil. One of the problems is that in, in this country, we have right now happening this, what I would call a polarization of views. People getting very extreme in their views about things, not just in the political arena, but also in the philosophical arena, certainly the arena of UFO stuff. You know, when you, you talk about things that are going, you know, you talk about these situations that are happening in Brazil, like the thing that Operation Saucer was investigating, where clearly we're talking about interactions that are maybe not very positive. People are getting harmed. They're getting burned. Well, but uh, happily, it, it's not happening for 30 years or so. Right, it but it happened. It happened for it, it. It was happening, and it ended. Right. It ended. It ended in late seventies. Thanks, God. So we we don't, we don't have any more case of uh, attacks in the uh, in the Amazon, or at least in that particular area in Colares. Sorry, it may have there, happened in a few other places, but not related to Colares stuff. Not related to Colares. Now, Bob Pratt's book did indeed talk about 
cases of violence that then had been happening in the 90s. Mm -hmm, so his, yes. his research expanded it out. Now, you, you very well know that in the United States, there is a whole subculture of contacteeism, and there are a number of people who are proponents of this idea who, who, who actually you know, go on record saying that only negative interactions between uh, humans and these other things are uh, government conspiracies. They're black operations by the military. Now, we have a lot of problems with that idea. But I'm wondering, in Brazil, do you have, after these negative experiences that people were having had kind of sort of started to, to tone down and to wind down, did you have then a comparable increase in experiences of people with the kinds of abduction scenarios that are reported here in the United States? Has there been comparable kinds of abduction reports down there? And do you think if there has been, and we don't know if there have or haven't been, has maybe does this have something to do with the presence then, the, the penetration of Western media, our media discussing these things in a lighter top in a lighter kind of a tone that maybe have have sort of come down there, like the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind in the seventies? Well actually we have had abduction cases more in the past than nowadays. Really? We had very strong cases in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, but very few from the latest years. I don't know why. Really? Well, okay. But there, is, there isn't a big influence uh, by the press over, over the people here, so more abduction will be known or will be reported. No, it's not like United States. Generally, uh, the abductions here, they happen in a different scenario than the United States. And we don't have that much, that, that many programs of UFOs here, like you have there. There are so many programs, so many activity on, on press about UFOs. And most of the cases, the, they don't reflect the reality of the UFO phenomena in, in some of the series or things that are going on in the United States. We don't have that many here. We don't have, like our regular TV, you, you can only find on, 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 on cable TV a few programs about UFOs here, and I don't think they influence too much people, rather than they, they are making a better conscience about the UFO phenomenon. You know, one thing, AJ, the fact is also that in your country you don't have 400 stations to choose from, do you? No, we don't have. <laughs> Thanks God we don't. Oh, yeah, 400 stations, and let me tell you, my friend, I've had really those cable packages where you have to order everything to get the stations that you want, and you like to watch four or five different stations, and there are 395 you don't care about. <laughs> I know what you mean. See, right. Our cable here, we have the most, like I would say, like uh, uh, 90 or 100 channels. We're just getting near the end of the show, and I know David has a few things he wanted to wrap up with. Go ahead. Well, so, AJ, the, the reason I'm, I'm bringing all this up, you know, I know that every now and then you get to the States and you've, you've participated in some conferences here, and, and you see what goes on. You know, you look at, for example, a conference that is relatively well-known, that most of the people who listen to the Paracast, when they look at the list of speakers of, let's say, the International UFO Congress, which I know you're involved with, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm the South American director for the conference since uh, the beginning of it. I've been, I've okay. been to almost all editions, except for two or three. So, so here's the thing, AJ. I mean, here you are. You're coming up to. I mean, you come up to this thing. I'm looking right now, for example, at the list of speakers of 2010. 
And on here, you have some, some very good people. It just so happens that this year, they have some decent people. And then they have Stan Romanek. Or, and David Sarita. All right, now, look. There is already a list of speakers for the, the 2010? Yeah. Am I there? <laughs> uh, 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 you're listed as a director. You're not listed in speakers. David Sarita is there. Stan Romanek is there. And then there's this guy, Douglas Taylor, who I know if we had on, it, it would be the end of his life. If he came on the show, he wouldn't survive. He wouldn't survive. I mean, because, you know, people like we've had Sarita on. Sarita is, is a joke. Stan Romanek is a joke. And, and these guys are a joke that have gained a good amount of media visibility. You know, when Fox News has to have a, a UFO expert on, they get David Sarita on. David Sarita, you know, we've had him on the show. We've had some well-known uh, disagreements, shall we say, with him. I see. These, guys, these guys are not doing the field any help, AJ. They're not, they're not looking into real serious stuff. These guys are, they, these guys are not helping anybody. So my question to you, and this is the problem that we have here in this country, is to try to get some seriousness around us, some legitimacy. Do you think that this is a, a, a situation we'll ever resolve? Can we ever get to the point where guys like that, because again, you're on the board of directors of this thing. Please try not to have people like Romanek and Sarita involved. It's a real problem for people like us. Who, as you all know, we're trying to have serious conversations about these things. Yes, I understand. I, I think that the policy of the, the International UFO Conference is to give people a chance to say what they have to say and, and let the audience decide. It has been with the other characters in the UFO, in the UFO field, people who I also have problems with. But I won't name I won't name them here because well I have right, a, that's fine. Is here in Brazil? No, I, I'll be the bad guy. That's okay. Everybody likes to hate me, so it's easy for people to okay. hate me. I don't hate you, David. No. <laughs> I think I'm. I think it's just me and your girlfriend. Actually, yeah. my wife thinks you're nice too. So yeah, and, and hopefully AJ doesn't hate me either. You no, know, AJ, because we you. we believe in the work you're doing. You know, we listen. Yeah. If we had if we had a few million dollars. You would have your, your trip well, well funded. Believe me, we believe in the work you're doing. So, you know, I don't want you to misunderstand, okay? That this is just, you know, and that's why we, we like having you on the show because we know you're doing hard work. We know you're looking into real stuff. And I guess this is the part of the show where I vent my frustration. I'll be quiet now. Before we get too quiet, we're just about out of time, AJ. How about telling our listeners once again where they can check out your material and contact you if maybe they have those deep pockets that haven't been lessened by the economic crisis and can help you out? Yes, fantastic. See, our website is ufo.com.br. BR is Brazil. BR. And my email address is aj at gavard.com. You, you better spell this to them as you speak better English than me. Jim, can you do that? I will indeed. I will indeed. I'm going to look it up right now, right here. And it's AJ. Well, actually, you have a Gmail account. You don't want to use that one? And we'll link to it on the site. We'll link, we'll link to it on the site. It's actually AJ at G-E-V-A-E-R-D.com. And That's we'll link to it at the site. So if anyone wants to contact AJ, you click on the link and it will... Bring up an email window, and we'll even set it up so it doesn't bring you spam, AJ, because we like you so much. We Thank you. That's a big problem. 
I, I want to thank you for this uh, new opportunity to speak to you and to your listeners and, and tell them and tell you and tell everybody that is listening to us that there is still a lot to be done. As we won't stop, we'll do everything that it takes to get information out. This is a matter of uh, a point that we do here, you know. And we thank you for, for, for taking us, for having this information. And on behalf of all UFO researchers in Brazil, the space you're giving us in the United States is really appreciated, really. Thank you so very much. AJ, we really appreciate you coming on, being a friend of the show. And remember, when you come to the United States, New York or Arizona, One of us will buy you lunch. A.J. Gavare, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, A.J. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.